0: We are going to continue in Malachi, we're going to be in chapter 2 verse 10 and go through verse 16 this morning and we're going to be talking about keeping your commitments and though it has a broad application and we'll start out broad, we're going to talk toward the end about marriage and divorce, so we'll have a juicy sermon topic today. There was a 104-year-old man and his 96-year-old wife who recently celebrated 80 years of marriage. Anyone can beat that? Anyone? No? No? Okay. She was 16 years old when she began a marriage. Their families had arranged their marriage. They had not dated. There was no chance to fall in love like today. They survived the Great Depression and World War II. And yet they still managed to raise five children. How did they do it? They stayed together on the basis of values that too often are missing today. The value of commitment, the value of a promise that said, till death do us part. A commitment to one's spouse and a commitment to God. So what's happened to commitment today? What's happened to a promise is a promise, that your word is your ironclad bond? Do you remember those expressions? What's happened to integrity? Does it really matter anymore? Lewis Smead's, a pastor and author who's since passed away, wrote in The Power of Promises, if we do not keep our promises... What once was a human community turns into a combat zone of competitive self-maximizers. Think about that. Competitive self-maximizers. He goes on. We are uncertain, leery of each other, untrusting, and without trust there is no law or police force or legal contracts that can keep a community human. We can join together in a permanently free society only if we are a people who can keep promises together. What do you think? Does that sound like he hit the nail on the head? Well scripture stresses repeatedly that God keeps his promises. God is faithful, God is reliable. That's what the Hebrew word actually can be translated is reliable. We think of faithful as as believing, but it's about also about trustworthiness and reliability. So are you a reliable person who reflects who God is? Well, let's look at Matthew, not Matthew, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers? By breaking faith with one another. So if God is one and we are one and there's unity, remember that was Jesus' prayer at the last prayer for the church? We're breaking faith, he says. And that oneness idea is going to come up again in marriage. But breaking faith, this expression occurs five times in the verses we're going to look at this morning. So you kind of might get the impression breaking faith is a major theme for this morning. And it means by breaking faith, not keeping your commitments, breaking promises. So when we compromise our integrity, people learn not to trust us, right? Doesn't that make sense? If they know you won't keep your word, then they quit trusting you. Your integrity is compromised. And what it really means, though, and I want you to make sure you get this, when we won't keep our word, when we don't keep our promises, we're really saying that my character, I have to protect myself because I don't really trust that God will take care of me if I keep a hard promise to follow through on something like choices I make in, in life and marriage. Do I trust God will keep me and sustain me and be faithful to me if I keep my promises when I commit to doing what's right? Instead, our tendency is to protect ourselves, to protect our feelings or our reputation, our interests. Let me move this over here. So having one father, I mentioned that, stressed that, one father, one creator is there's an idea of unity in the family of God based on trust, right? You got to have trust. I mean, when some of the psychologists who weren't Christians studied uh, the basic development of, of children, um, I think they found God's truth that the building block, block, the foundation, the first thing a child needs to know before their age two is, can I trust these my world around me? Trust is the basic foundation of relationships. God said this, and so did the world as they studied it. They found what God had already said was true. Unity and trust. If someone acts deceitfully, breaks their commitment, it profanes, according to God, the basic trust that binds us together. It creates an unsafe climate, and then disunity comes about. And that reflects poorly on God when we can't keep our promises, when we're cheating in business, when we're divorcing at the same rate as the world. And pretty soon, nothing looks any different. It reflects poorly on who God really is as a God who is reliable and trustworthy. Instead, God says, be known as people of integrity who can be relied upon, not because you're a great, determined person, but because you trust in a God and you can rely on God. And because you can rely on God, then people can see it in you and they can rely on you. Verse 11, Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary. The Lord loves, I'm sorry, let me just start that reading again. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. Now marrying someone who who was a a foreign, who worshipped a foreign god was another example of breaking faith because it led to idolatry. In the Old Testament, that was almost always the result of a mixed marriage. We saw that when they came back from the exile and in Ezra. He said, put away your foreign wives. Not be, and, and in that particular case, to protect the community, they said, when you mix together, you're going to end up worshiping idols, not worshiping God, because that's the whole reason they went off into exile in the first place. So God's very interested in the purity and the faith and commitment of the people. And so what he is saying is, when you go and get mixed up with with other people in marriage, and, and have a mixed marriage, it results in spiritual compromise. And in fact, they know even from Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, according to scripture. And for all that wisdom, throughout his life, he kept having all these wives, most of them foreign wives, for political alliances. And it says that they took his heart Away from the Lord. They turned him away. Even Solomon. And you can read Ecclesiastes and you kind of definitely get the impression of how did he end up? Was this a happy man full of wisdom and look at all of the possessions and all of the things he had? In Ecclesiastes, it's pretty dim and dark and depressing, don't you think? That's Solomon saying, I made all these mistakes and I looked back and they were poor choices even though I was the wisest man in the world. And at the top of that list were all these women that he married and turned his heart away from God. What about the New Testament? What does it say about that principle of, of being committed to somebody who doesn't worship the same Jesus that you do? Second Corinthians 6.14. Warning, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness, with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness. God did not say this because he wants to make you miserable. He said it to protect you. God knows that a romantic relationship and some commentators would even suggest a business partnership, by the way, with unequal eo, that you get into business with somebody and they make ethical choices and decisions, they pull you away. My oldest son works for a company. I shouldn't say the name because it will go on a tape and be all over the Internet. But he works for a company, and, and there's sales involved. And he is constantly finding people that are doing unethical, shading things and all of this. And he says, I stand up for what's right and true. I call out the people, and it creates problems. People get mad at me. But that's the way of the world, isn't it? And so when we get into business, and I'm not saying all of you should only work for Christian employers, but if you have a business and you have a partner, I've talked to more than one Christian who said, it's tough if your partner doesn't worship God because they make ethical choices. The world just kind of, eh, what's the big deal? So marriage, business, do not be unequally yoked. Find somebody that you partner with that shares your commitment to God. Because when you have to pull in a different spiritual direction from your, your spouse, it's tough. And I have, can't tell you the number of conversations I've had in 35 plus years of ministry on this that no Christian guy asked me out, and I couldn't find a Christian girl, or or whatever, so I went and married a non-Christian, because we loved each other, and we knew we would make it work, and we would just set that part aside, and then he said I could go to church, or she let me, and take the kids to church, but it's tension, and it's never what it could have been. Now, if you have Married somebody who's not, you're, with whom you're not equally yoked. God is not saying get up and leave. Look, they did it back in the Old Testament. But that was the Old Testament for that situation, to protect the integrity of Israel. That's not the New Testament. The New Testament in 1 Corinthians 7 says that you should stay with your unbelieving spouse and that they should be the one who chooses to leave, not you. And so you should, though, think carefully about getting into... A romance, or into some kind of a relationship in which you find somebody not committed to Jesus. Because God's saying, st- you need to stick with it. You don't have an out. We're going to talk about that in a little while. Verse 12. As for the man who does this, that's the unequally yoked, at marrying the daughter of a foreign man. whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Pretty big consequence. But when you have a mixed relationship with God, this idolatry is going to taint the nation. So God says, I have to remove them from the covenant community. I have to protect the covenant community. Because if you keep bringing this in, you're going to end up just like you did before your exile to Babylon. God knew that compromised relationships, this idolatry would be a cancer in the Old Testament faith community that needed to be removed. It says, so Lord Almighty wanted to protect the covenant community. Now, Lord Almighty, you might have it in your Bible as Lord of hosts, Lord of heaven's armies, but it really talks, I like the Almighty translation because Hosts sort of sounds like, you know, hospitality. It's really about God... The powerful God who leads heaven's armies. And by the way, this expression, Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, however you have it, occurs more often in Malachi in 43.6% of the verses have Lord Almighty in them more than any other book in the Bible. So you kind of like might get a hint that that's a pretty important theme. The God, all-powerful God of the universe, the all-powerful. So the bottom line is, can you trust an all-powerful God? God Almighty, God who has heaven's armies and all these resources at his disposal. Is he worthy of your trust in your everyday life, in these hard relational decisions? Can you trust the all-powerful God instead of pushing your own will? So what's more important to you, your love life or your love for God? Fitting in with the crowd or pleasing God? Your business prosperity or your relationship with God? What matters most? Can you trust the all-powerful God? And that's the first point on your outline. If you've got a bulletin, you can... Pull this out and you see some an outline there as well as some questions in case you want to use them in your small group or personal devotions. Keeping commitments reflects trust in God. When we are a person who keeps a promise, it's because we believe God keeps promises and we want to reflect him and we want to trust that he will take care of us even when we make hard and costly choices to keep a promise. When you find a partner who shares your spiritual devotion... It draws you closer to God. Evie Hill, who is a dynamic black pastor in, in inner city Los Angeles, he lost his wife, Jane, to cancer. There's Evie. At her funeral, Evie described how she brought him to a greater understanding of God. He said, She was my protector. <clears throat> Some years ago, he said, I got these death threats. I got them really often at this one period. And one day I got a death threat that said that by tomorrow you will be killed. We're going to take you out. I woke up, he said, thankful to be alive. But then I noticed she was gone. When in the morning I looked out of the window, Jane is gone. The car is gone. So I went outside and about that time she drove up and I said, where have you been? And she said this. I, uh, well, it just occurred to me that they could have put a bomb in that car last night. And if you had gotten in there, you would have been blown away. So I got up and drove it. It's safe for you to drive now. Can you imagine? Jane, share, Jane Hill shared E.V. Hill's spiritual commitment to Jesus. think he learned a lot about God from his wife through some kind of action like that? Would we have done that for our spouse? Would we have done that for our friend? How well do you keep your commitments, even and especially when they're costly? Now, it doesn't really matter that the world rewards those who only take care of themselves, who put number one first. It doesn't matter if the culture around you considers you clever because you got away with it. That was a big deal in in Egypt. It wasn't that you did something wrong. It's that you weren't clever enough that you couldn't get caught. And there is really more about the shame of being caught than the fact that it was wrong. So will you rely on God who is faithful to sustain you as you strive for integrity? Is God the rock you can depend on? Read some Psalms for that one. See, keeping commitments reflects trust in God. That's our first point this morning. Malachi 2.13 gets into our second point for today. Another thing you do, this is in the breaking faith category, you flood the altar, Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or, or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Now, these people, they come to synagogue, we come to church, we feel a lot of emotion, we're all, you know, kind of dedicated, weeping, wailing, really seeking God. And what he's saying is, yeah, it's great. You have deep feelings in your relationship. You're not like the church of Ephesus that lost their first love. These people are bringing their offerings in. But they sense something is wrong. Something just doesn't, isn't feeling right God's blessings have dried up. They feel like they're in, in the spiritual desert. Do you ever feel like that? You're in a spiritual desert? And so their problem, I'm not saying this is your problem, but their problem we're going to find is they want it both ways. They don't want to keep their promises or their commitments, especially ones that are inconvenient. But they still want God to bless them. So I might not trust you over here to take care of me if I stay faithful to my word and become a trustworthy, reliable person. But if I'm not going to do that, I still need you to be faithful, God, and take care of me. They want it both ways. God's withholding their blessings. We're going to find that in coming weeks in some other areas. But this one is going to be about marriage. God is not happy with how... They're keeping their marriage. But they want it both ways. And so what it would be like this is that if I don't treat Karen, my wife, in a loving way, you know, she doesn't like just walk out of the house and and divorce me and say, that's it, you didn't perform correctly. She sticks with me. But it doesn't mean in the sticking with me that she feels really close to me, that she's feeling cared for or loved and worn. See, I put this barrier in our relationship just like they are putting a barrier in their relationship with God and then wondering what's going wrong. Well, you put the barrier there. God didn't. I put the barrier there in my marriage if I don't treat my wife well. It doesn't mean the relationship ends, but it isn't going to have the closeness and intimacy. It should, and that's where they are. So verse 14, what is this? He no longer pays attention to your offerings and accepts them. What's that about? Verse 14. You ask why. Here's the answer. It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her. Although she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So I want you to notice those highlighted words. Broken faith occurs again. And marriage is called a covenant. So another reason that they aren't close with God is they've broken faith in marriage. They were apparently divorcing their wives, their Jewish wives, who they've had for years or decades, to marry a younger foreign wife who's kind of left around in the area. And they go, these other wives are from other religions. So not only are they hurting their relationship with God, they're abandoning their wife, And there was no Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid or any kind of help kind of program, no Department of of Human and, and Social Services to rescue them. A divorced woman in Israelite society was often left destitute. And so God says, you are breaking faith. Because God considers your spouse your life partner. It's not a casual or superficial relationship You throw away when you get tired or frustrated. A partner is someone with whom you share hardship and you work toward something that is meaningful, something that matters. See, healthy marriages are built on a foundation of an unconditional deep commitment that reflects who God is. Marriage is not a social contract. See, a social contract means you can break it. You didn't fulfill your parts of the contract Therefore, I can break the contract, right? And that's how a lot of the world look at marriage. It's a contract. Tell, you know, it doesn't work anymore and you didn't meet all my needs. Things aren't like I want. But rather, marriage is a sacred covenant to become honored, even when your partner is not acting very lovable. See, when you see life, marriage is a social contract. In premarital counseling, I've used this illustration. I said, see... You look for a person when we're dating that's going to kind of fill up those empty spaces in us, right? Yes? So we're kind of like a tick looking for a dog. Then we get married, and we discover it's two ticks and no dog. Think about it. You're not meeting my needs anymore. I'm leaving you. That's what we're saying. Because you're here to make me feel good about myself. But God says he is your witness. Abandoning our commitment in marriage does not demonstrate God's heart. So Malachi 2, 15 and 16. Has not the Lord made them one? There's our word. God, our creator is one. So God made us one. In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So... Guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. The foundation of marriage is the oneness established at creation. There's a oneness that, that God said in Genesis 2.24, and in a minute I'm going to read Jesus quoting that. But it started because God is one, and yet he is three persons, right? So there's a unity in the Trinity that's relationship, that the, really the best explanation of the Trinity is this relational oneness that God then shares and says, I am about relationship. If God was one God, one person, there wouldn't be a relationship component, would there? But the fact that God is three persons means he is at his core relational. And when he brings us into the, the party, he says, come and join us in oneness. And so I'm going to give you a way to experience a little slice of the Trinity that you're going to have another human being to find intimacy. And that person's going to teach you about God, just like Jane Hill taught E.V. E. Hill about being faithful and sacrificial. Protector. And so God lets us share in that oneness. But if we break it, then we've destroyed the very foundation that God established at creation. God is not going to lead us to divorce because it, it would violate who he is, his, his faithful character, the oneness central to the nature of who God is. So when Jesus, in, in Matthew 19, 6, the Pharisees come to him, And they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And he quotes Genesis 2.24, and he says, So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Do you hear the oneness principle in that? This is God's original design. Now, I've had some justify leaving their spouse with this. They said, you know, I don't think God would want me unhappy in my relationship. So I'm going to divorce my spouse because that way I won't have all this stress and I can worship God better. People say, God has told me I should leave them and divorce them so that, you know, I'll be happy. But this, God would not tell them that. I can say, God didn't tell you that because it would violate who he is and what scripture says. Because get this, marriage is not ultimately about your happiness. It's about your holiness. There's a book called Sacred Marriage that uses that that phrase. God, I'm I'm sorry, marriage is not about your happiness, it's about your holiness. It's not about your sanctification. I'm sorry, it's not about your satisfaction, it's about your sanctification. Because God uses that other person, even though it's kind of that Proverbs, you know, rubbing the rough edges off, where there are two, you know, there's going to be some friction. But he uses that to rub your rough edges off. You learn about who God is and who you are in a close relationship. Even if you're not married, you have other relationships that, if you will open yourself up, God wants to use marriage to shape you. He wants to use relationships to shape you. And did you notice in verse 15 about the godly offspring? Divorce also harms your children. If you are seeking a godly offspring, I can guarantee you that divorce will impact your children's emotional and spiritual health. It, I'm a product of divorce. My parents divorced after 37 years of marriage. Karen's parents divorced when she was in college. It's disruptive even when you're an adult. It's disruptive. But when your kids are small, it's doubly Disruptive and oh by the way, highly conflicted marriages where we stay together for the sake of the children and fight all the time and 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 it 's this hostile tense time it doesn 't help the children either so yes it 's good you don 't divorce, but no it 's not good that you haven 't tried to work on your relationship because that 's harming the children also as your marriage goes, so your children will go a lot of couples. After they have kids, they invest in the children and they let the marriage relationship slide. But it doesn't help your children because they want to see what the safety and security of a close marital relationship looks like and feels like. So children will often have trust issues, especially believing God can really be a trustworthy and faithful father. When they come from divorced homes or homes where there's a lot of fighting and conflict and there's not oneness That's why God warns, guard yourself in your spirit. He says it does violence in multiple relationships. So breaking your marriage covenant violates God's creation order. It defiles your own character, and it harms the whole community, including your family. Trust is the foundational relationship. It's the foundation to a relationship because breaking your promise undermines trust. And that's the second point. Breaking commitments harms relationships. And not just your marriage, your children, the people around you. I was in a huge church when I became a pastor of counseling. I went to this big church in 2000 and the pastor left his wife and ran off as his secretary. And let me tell you, In a community where this person has built the church up almost like a founding pastor, it's pretty destructive. And so one of the uh, later pastors says, I have a card in my Bible where I list all of the things that will go wrong if I engage in an affair and and ruin my relationship or get a divorce. All the people that are going to be hurt, he keeps a list of their names. Maybe we should do the same. Breaking commitments harms relationships. It's a battlefield. Relationships of integrity are our battlefield. Breaking commitments harms relationships. But when we keep commitments, when we're faithful to commitments, it reflects our trust in God. I realize some of you have been divorced. And if there's still a chance for reconciliation, I think you hold out for that option. But maybe your former spouse is remarried then reconciliation is much more difficult. It's off the table if they're remarried. And maybe your divorce long ago didn't fit biblical exceptions. Maybe it's beyond reconciliation because of that remarriage or a commitment to a relationship that you can't break up. I want you to know that God still forgives. God still wants to heal. So you can start over with stronger commitments to present relationships and that fits some of you you have started over you've been faithful to your spouse for decades god's healing divorce isn't the only sin that we commit and just like he can forgive and cleanse any sin he can also forgive and cleanse that one i like this analogy if a fire breaks out in a room that you're in what do you do Well, usually we just run for the exits. We've got them well marked here. But what happens if when you run to the door, you discover it's a steel door and it's locked and there are no windows in the room? Then your choice is you have to do everything you can to put out the fire. God sees marriage as a relationship that's in a locked room with a steel door and no windows. He doesn't want you to look for an exit. He wants you to put out the fire. Are you willing to put out the fire? Are you willing to keep your commitments? And as we close, I want you to consider, are there some commitments of mine that I'm not holding like I should? They're sliding. And maybe you're in a place where you need to covenant with God to say, God, help me to pursue relationships that are healthy, that draw me closer to you and not draw me away from you into compromise. Maybe you need to say to God, I want to stay faithful to my commitments that reflect who you are. Show me how. Show me how to draw close to you and trust you so I can be committed to the relationships around me and show off who you are. Maybe today you need to turn to your spouse. Maybe while we're singing the communion hymn, you can turn to them and say to them and look into their eyes and say, I am committed to you no matter what. And you both need to say that. Or maybe you need to go home and say it. Lord God, help us with our commitments, with keeping our promises, with being faithful people, because you are faithful and reliable. And Lord, may we not just do it in our own strength, and our own determination, what AA calls white knuckling, but may we do it because we are connected to you, that something, it isn't a negative thing for us, it's a coming to the positive. Show us how to do that, Lord. Show us how to be committed to you and trust in you, even when we have to make hard choices to stay in relationships. May we be wise who we get yoked with, whether in marriage or business or other ways. Lord, show us how to be people that the world can look at and notice that we are different. We're not just like everybody else and they can't see who God is because we're not even sure who God is by how we live. Show us how to break that cycle and become graceful, caring, loving lights to other people. I pray in Jesus' name.